the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm not sure what your thoughts are when you hear that gospel reading, but uh, for the past couple weeks, I've looked at this one and go, this is a challenge for me. <laughs> did you catch that? Like, did Jesus actually just call that woman a dog? Like, what are we going to do with that? I, full disclosure, this is not the gospel text that I am the most comfortable with, but it's the one we're going to read and, and share in today. You know, one of those gifts of Scripture I think we need to hold on to. Scriptures always tell us something, have us learn something about God, right? Something about Jesus. And they're also called to help us learn something about ourselves and how we're called to live. Today, I think it also tells us something about God's mercy. So let's do this. It's kind of like an obstacle course. We're going to start her off with the easier part of the course, and then I promise we'll get to that part about the dog, okay? So in the first part of the story, there's kind of two stories in here, right? Jesus talks, talks and he upsets the Pharisees. Now, I don't know about you, but, you know, oftentimes the Pharisees are kind of shown as we feel like the bad example or the foil. And maybe you've never done this, but sometimes I have to admit, like, I picture Jesus kind of talking to those Pharisees. And all too often, I probably wrongfully picture myself putting my arm on Jesus' shoulder going, yeah, you tell them, Jesus. They just don't get it like us. Do you ever find yourself in that way? Maybe not. Maybe I'm the most arrogant, you know, least humble person here. Um, but as I share that story, I don't think it's meant to say, boy, the Pharisees are terrible. Like, they're idiots, they're fools. Not at all. Uh, the Pharisees um, had a good purpose. They helped people um, be restored to the community. There's a lot of good functions. But the Pharisees did have that ability to be off the mark, Right? And I think why Jesus tells us this story on this is for us to be reminded that we also have that capability, despite our good intentions, of being off the mark. Maybe we can overvalue a tradition and it gets in the way of carrying out the mission to show God's love and compassion to people. Maybe we get so big on, well, this is our church, our club, and we forget, no, we're called to carry out this mission in the world to be useful for others. I think we're here this story to remind us that we have that ability to miss it. Jesus, in that, as we talk to the children's sermon, shares that message to say about what defiles and says, let's not get so worried about uh, some of these rituals like hand washing. And kids, please hear this. Washing your hands is good. But Jesus is saying the main thing that, in living out this faith is what comes out of your mouth? What do you say? The words and the actions that flow from your heart, how do you treat people? That's more important than traditions and those things that probably started for a very good reason. But it's about how we treat our neighbor. And again, this story reminds us, yes, that we can miss the mark. So let's move on to the harder part of the story. Jesus and the disciples, they head to a place called District of Tyre and Sidon. Now know this, Jesus and his disciples, they have been living in this Jewish stronghold, right? They grew up Jewish. They live in that community. Now they're venturing away from this Jewish area. And we hear Jesus mention about, I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel. Maybe there's other Jewish folks in this area, but where they're going is Gentile territory. Where they're going, there are lots of Canaanites. And if you remember a little Old Testament history, the Canaanites were fierce enemies of Israel. This would probably never happen in your lives, but are there ever people who did something way in the past that it's just hard to let go of that? The disciples might be having some of this as well. So as they go uh, off to this area, right, this Gentile territory, 
right off the bat, this Canaanite woman, yep, one of those, comes and rushes up to Jesus, right? Never met him before, but she must know something about him. And she screams out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. You know, and she may be a Canaanite, and she's definitely not Jewish, but it doesn't seem like she sure seems to get who Jesus is. Maybe she heard of the feeding of the 5,000. I don't know, but she seems to get that Jesus has the power to make a difference in the life of her daughter who's being tormented. And you know, moms are awesome. They'll do anything for their children. And it's interesting. She actually says, Lord, son of David. She gets that this is the, must get that this is the Jewish Messiah that can make a difference for her daughter in this world. And while that's going on, on the other side of Jesus is the disciples, right? These true blue, they know the tradition, and they're kind of acting like bouncers, checking IDs, not wanting to let the riffraff in. You hear that? This woman is annoying us. She keeps shouting, says he tells, the, they tell the Jesus, get rid of her, send her away. And the best case spin I can put on this, in this world that knew clean and unclean, is maybe they're trying to keep Jesus from being touched because the thought was if you were touched by a Gentile, you were unclean. And then as a rabbi, he couldn't fulfill his duties. Maybe that's what it is, but they definitely don't seem to have much time for her. As I share this, um, the funny thing is she seems, even though she's not in this inner circle, she seems to get who Jesus is and the power that he has more than the disciples. I want to share this story. When I moved to, to Farmington, um, you know, over 10 years ago, um, when I moved in, I had somebody, and it's not in present company or that, but somebody who learned I was a pastor here in town and said, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, that's so good. You know, I'm a Christian, and let me show you where the good Christians live. I'm not even sure what that means. But what I learned was the good Christians, whatever that means, were the folks who went to the same church that they did. So you didn't make the list. Sorry about that, folks. Um, but then the wild thing shortly after was like, move in. Here's my neighbor Swami, grew up in Guyana, right? Hindu background, he reads his Bible. We got lots of great faith conversations. First words out of Swami's mouth is, ah, you must be the new neighbor. But you and I will not live like neighbors. We will live like brothers. And they can, in 10 plus years, he's lived that out. If there's somebody in the neighborhood, like uh, Swami is the quickest to invite people over to offer food. You got an issue with your vehicle or your yard, he's over offering to help. And I was joking with Swami, because if, if being a Christian is about loving God and showing that love to people, if it's about serving others, I said, Swami, I think you're a lot better Christian than a lot of Christians in living that out. And I share that story. Isn't it funny? Somebody like, oh, there's no way, you know, they don't seem to fit, and God does amazing things through them. You and I, sometimes we can be like these disciples, and maybe it's not surprising here in the disciples, they seem to miss the mark in our mind, right? Aren't we as a church? All people are welcome, all these things. So maybe we can kind of get, uh, as Jesus has talked about, disciples have little faith and has pointed out their shortcomings. Maybe we can kind of get uh, how they act. But the hardest part for me is Jesus, when he hears this call, he doesn't respond. You ever have that when you really want someone's attention? Almost worse than getting an answer is when they give you no answer and they ignore you. Are you worth nothing? And you should know also, and I'm trying to understand this, that's been my struggle, is um, in that culture, please know this. For one, for, uh, Jews didn't like Canaanites. Um, 
in a public place, a woman who's a stranger wouldn't speak publicly to a male, and definitely not to a rabbi, and definitely not if you're a Gentile woman, okay? So there are those boundaries, but remember the story of the woman at the well? Jesus didn't seem to care one rip about any of those boundaries. He crossed them all over. Remember the woman was surprised, you, would you want to share water with me? We're touching the same stuff. And that day, that makes a lot of sense. That's the Jesus you and I are more comfortable with. Everyone's welcome. But in this story, Jesus isn't quite ready to include this Canaanite woman yet. This is where the story is hard for us. That's not the Jesus that I fully have in my mind, but it's the Jesus in these verses. I'm guessing you didn't wake up this morning and say, I'm sure hope we focus on Jesus' humanity and divinity. Let's have that theological conversation, but we're going to have it a little bit. Um, as I share that, um, we love Jesus' humanity. Here's what I mean. We love Jesus' humanity, one who gets what it is to be you. One it is who gets what it feels like to be abandoned or to go through suffering. And he willingly uh, went through suffering and went on the cross and died for us. One who knows how we feel and we love that. But I also wonder in Jesus' humanity, one who grew up in a culture that had a lot of racial tensions, and in that culture he would have heard all the time, all right, from his other Jewish family and friends that Gentiles are dogs. They're less than you are. And it struggles for me, but I think in that some of those racial tensions and those attitudes are showing up in the humanity of Jesus in this story. And I struggle with that. Maybe you do as well. And um, back in the year 451, the Council of, uh, of Chalcedon, uh, they wrestled with that question of Jesus' divinity and humanity, and the debate went on for a thousand years. So I'm pretty sure we're not going to solve it in the next two minutes. But in this moment in the story, it seems like Jesus isn't ready for her to be fully included, and that's hard to hear. And maybe one positive construction, it's somebody saying, hey, Jesus' ministry at first, right, is to the Jewish people. And it's kind of like if you're running a woman's shelter and all your resources are earmarked for the woman's shelter, that's who you're called to care for. And then a homeless man shows up, and though the need is great, right, that's not your niche, that's not what your mission is about. That one will have to wait Maybe that's how you see it, but for whatever reason, that day, he doesn't respond initially to her request for mercy. He doesn't jump at the chance to include her. He even tells his disciples, reminds them he was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And what I love when this woman does, she then kneels before him in this act of worship, as good chosen people do. In that stance of worship, again, she says, Lord, help me. She's not given up. Isn't that beautiful? She knows in this Jesus something that you and I sometimes need to be reminded of, that this is the one who has the power to change people's lives. And then after that, Jesus says the line for me, which is the most disturbing, <laughs> and it's definitely not an attitude of abundance, but seems to share that it would be unjust to help her out as a Gentile because it would take away from something he has to offer the Jewish people. Did you hear that words? He says, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Yes, he refers to her as a dog. And I heard a couple folks say, well, you know what, like in our house, like the dog is like one of us, and we really value the dog. Uh -uh, that's not what's going on here. Love your dog all you want. He was used to hearing Gentiles referred to as dogs, and he says it himself. Huh. This woman, though, she's going to take whatever she can get. 
It reminds me, remember the woman who in the crowd uh, who was seeking healing and she touched out and thought, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, if I can just touch and get a little bit of Jesus, that will transform my life, and it did? That's what I see this woman doing as well. She's told this, she's undeterred, and then she says after hearing, you know, that they shouldn't throw food to the dogs, she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Almost to say, you know what? I won't claim to be worthy of anything, but I will take even a crumb that you have to offer because even a little bit of you, Jesus, can make a difference to my daughter and to me and to this world. And I wonder somewhere in there, if Jesus isn't moved, that the humanity of Jesus and his attitudes isn't changed. She seems to remind him that this Jewish Messiah has come to make a difference, yes, for the Jewish people, but for this whole world that God loves for the Jewish people, but beyond them as well. That the reminder, as we heard in the Old Testament, that the people are called to be a light to the nations, blessed to be a blessing. And a turning point seems to happen. And with Jesus' word, the mission expands well beyond the people of Israel, who maybe were, and others, and expands to those who were left out in the past or even earlier in the story. And he says, I picture in a very humble way, a way to sort of acknowledge that she's moved him and changed his attitude. It says, woman, great is your faith. And her daughter was healed instantly. There's a lot going on here, and maybe it was kind of all over the place today. But what do we take away from this? One, I think, is we've got these disciples who Jesus had just described as having little faith. It mentions this Canaanite woman with great faith. How are you and I called to live? What's our takeaway? And one is, as times of people who can be kind of parochial, it can be about us and our crew. I think Jesus reminds us that we're not meant to be the bouncers, like the disciples were at the beginning of the story, not worried about that somehow God's grace is going to go to somebody that we don't think should be included. None of us can ever earn it or are worthy of it, but it's for the whole world. And instead of being a bouncer, instead of trying to make sure that someone's not included, instead like this Canaanite woman, I think we're invited to take our stand, encouraged to take our stand by others who need a voice. For her, it was her daughter. Who is it for you in your life? Maybe it's to speak up and seek the best for all folks who need God's mercy. Maybe it's those who are living in grief. Maybe it's for those whose lives have been devastated for whatever reason. Maybe it's the people of Lahaina. Maybe it's the homeless, the hungry. Maybe it's for those who in the past we've been comfortable leaving out. Another takeaway, I think you and I in our life of faith are called to persist and trust. That is to persist, even when things seem totally hopeless, to live with that attitude that there is hope because we have Jesus and trust like this woman that Jesus has the power and indeed does have the power to transform our lives. And maybe the biggest shakeup in the story or maybe the biggest takeaway so you see, Jesus seemed to have his attitude about the Canaanite people that wasn't so wonderful changed. And it was an attitude that was normal of that time, of that culture. And I wonder, and I do a lot of dumb stuff in my life, but those times we have an attitude that was just part of the air around us, at some point in life we kind of go, whew, I can't believe that was my thought on that. I think this story, as we see that if our Lord and Savior and Jesus' humanity can be moved and change and grow, I think you and I probably have that need as well. 
And as I share that, we live in a time uh, where folks are very segregated. And I'm not saying so much by neighborhood or skin color or those things, but we're definitely segregated by our information sources. And I think we also live in a time that the thought of changing your attitude is a sign of weakness. As you hear this story today, I think God tells us something totally different. How are we being called to see people the way God's, God sees people? If our Lord can change, so can we. And as I shared at the very beginning, this story is a challenge. My question for you is, how is it challenging you today? Who are those people in the past that we were very comfortable maybe leaving out of our lives or who we think should be in the kingdom? How is God challenging us to grow? How is God, who's called us into this mission for people to know God's amazing love all over the place, how is God challenging us to change some of our attitudes and our outlook? People of God, we are a work in progress. It is a privilege to be on this journey of faith with you. God's blessings to you. As God's word challenges us to learn and grow. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Farmington Lutheran Church, its ministries, and how to connect to this part of the body of Christ by going to farmingtonlutheran.com. Peace be with you.